Costas, who a name many people might not know, but is very significant to anime fandom as a very big distinction. You're the person who kind of made the first anime music video. So can you tell us about that? Well, it all started off with, an art, with a discussion with the teacher I had back at Fairleigh Dickinson University. We thought that MTV was a passing fad. Ironically, as we're telling this story, this is the 30th anniversary of MTV going on the air as of uh, 12 midnight on August 1st. So, I had met some people who introduced me to real Japanese animation, not the oh, they're just robots, or Sergeant Knox got out right behind you. The first surprise I got was, those characters are actually dying. But in other shows, they're either robots or something else. So, at the time I was learning how to do production in television back in college, and I had gotten myself... I had gotten a VCR back in 1978, which was regular record, play. You had one timer function. You set the opening time and you hope that it starts. I had gotten a second VCR which had a flying erase head and the ability to do audio dub and video dub. And at the time the first video came across because I'd gotten copies of Space Battleship Yamato, which was known in the United States as Star Blazers. And at the time, the last episode of the 60s TV show, The Prisoner, was running. And in the last episode, Fallout, The Prisoner, played by Patrick McGowan, and two other people are shooting their way out of the village to the music of the Beatles' All You Need Is Love. So, with that in mind, and all of these violent scenes from all of these episodes and movies of Space Battleship Yamato, I just started cutting together random violent scenes done to All You Need Is Love. <laughs> and that's how the first video came after that. And then other ideas slowly came up, like the first comedy video where you had the Yamato, or at least the Argo, having trouble deciding who had the right-of-way versus the USS Enterprise. <laughs> Needless to say, the Argo lost. Mm -hmm. So you've been, you've been going to conventions for a while. What was your first convention experience, anime or otherwise? Well, my first convention, the first two conventions I went to were in uh, January and February of 1976. The first one was a Star Trek convention that Ticketmaster, or at the time Ticketron, outsold by 20,000 tickets. The two things I remember about it were, one, that was the first convention anyone ever heard the original cast say that they were going to do this movie, <laughs> which later on turned out to be Star Trek, the motion picture. And also, coming out of a room and seeing massive amounts of people, shoulder to shoulder, stuck, not moving, almost like Otakon. So I decided to go out the fire stairs, and as I'm going out the fire stairs, I end up in the lobby, I'm coming across the lobby, and in, going in as I'm leaving the hotel is the fire, New York City Fire Marshal, who shut down the convention 10 minutes after I left, because they crammed 27,000 people into a space that's only supposed to hold seven. 
few weeks later, I went to another Star Trek convention where you had the original cast there, and I actually got to meet Gene Roddenberry. Mm -hmm. Anyway, getting back to... And getting back to... So, your, you, your first it. conventions were Star Trek conventions. How about your first anime convention? What, what was that experience well, like? Well, a comic book convention later on that year called Creation Conventions started running animation. I ended up seeing an episode of Mazinger Z on film, and... The two things I remember about Mazinger Z is the robots are bleeding or scoring out transmission fluid, and the one robot that had missiles come out of her breasts, mm -hmm. or her breasts were missiles. But the first actual anime convention I went to, which I ever heard of, was AnimeCon 91 out at San Jose, which later on evolved into Anime Expo. But my first involvement with anime at conventions was a guy by the name of Rob Fenelon and Michael Pinto, who was in charge of the Star Blazers fan club at the time, had arranged to have a anime video room as part of Lunacon 1983. And I ended up getting involved because I was pretty much video ops, which back then meant you brought the equipment, you usually brought the tapes, and you usually slept in the room with the equipment to make sure it didn't get stolen. <laughs> so you've been going to conventions for a while. I mean, do you have a particular favorite moment from a convention that's something that really sticks out in your mind is really memorable? Uh, some conventions I remember good, I remember bad. Uh, I know for me, anime Con in 91 in San Jose was the first time I actually went out to the West Coast in a long time. First real anime convention, which was really exciting. You had people with VHS tapes and you had features on film. And of course, one tradition that seems to go on now is people waiting hours on end to get into the dealer's room. <laughs> That also, in a random draw at that convention, I won a very nice animation cell from uh, Nadia Seeker of Blue Water, of uh, the one villain Grandis talking to her two uh, cohorts. Oh, wow. It was, it was really yeah. surprising. Of course, they wouldn't allow me to take it home until the end of the convention <laughs> because they had all of the winner's cells there displayed. Mm. So you could look but not touch for a while. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, just a follow-up question too about anime music videos. What do you think makes a good music video? You, you hear a lot of people say, oh, that one was good, that one was bad. And, uh, th this One of the more recent complaints I heard was this one was seemed like it was nothing but effects. What do you think makes good AMV? I think story does. The one thing I prided in the early days of doing anime music videos was matching up songs that work with the images to tell stories. Two cases in point. An early Star Blazers video I did, or Yamato video, was done to the Beatles yesterday, using footage from Be Forever Yamato, where Kodai is polishing his plane, and in that movie, he had lost Yuki in the beginning. And he's reflecting back on all the time he spent with her 
and then comes full circle back around to him losing her. And that was really the first time I did an emotional video. In fact, Rob Fenelon showed it to Yoshinobu Nishizaki one time when he was in New York, and he said that it made his, you know, Nishizaki's secretary cry. Mm -hmm. I also did a video called Mr. Roboto, which was using the song by Styx and using Mobile Suit Gundam to pretty much tell the story of Char Aznable, the man behind, hiding behind the mask. Just mm -hmm. um, yeah, so lastly, once again, for all your convention experiences, is there anything you think conventions should be doing more or less? Is there anything that sticks out as really good or practices you'd like to see kind of faded out? Well, it would be nice to actually remember the past. I know it's easy to say, anime's been everywhere, but if you think about it, 30 years ago, you anime was pretty much what you had as children's TV back then, at least in the United States. Uh, one thing, to give you an example, we're sitting in, uh, in Baltimore. Mm -hmm. 30 years ago, in 1983, you had a gathering of anime fans, believe it or not, at the same Baltimore Convention Center. You know, there was a group called the CFO, Cartoon Fantasy Organization. You had people from their club in Northern Virginia come up. You had New York people, Philly people come up. A lot of them in costume. They did the first pretty much cosplay in the United States out on the outside balcony. And also, as part of the major programming, this is a regular hardcore science fiction convention. We were trying to premiere the movie Final Yamato. But due to a translation error, we got a 16-millimeter print of a Riva Durchi space cruiser Yamato, mm. which got shown on the film program, albeit at 1 a.m. in the morning because of the costume competition and right after a showing of the right stuff. <laughs> and you had people stay at 1 in the morning watching this animated film on the big screen. There was somebody who was complaining about all these people staying to watch this film about militaristic Japanese when not as many stayed to watch the movie about real American heroes. It's, it's an in interesting perspective to see kind of how conventions have evolved and everything. And people have written or uh, starting to write books on kind of the history of American anime fandom and it's a very interesting perspective. Yeah, it was just, you know, a few people trading videotapes, and now you can practically go anywhere. Case in point, uh, 28 years ago, a friend of mine, Will, Bill Smith in Philly, had gotten a Betamax copy of Final Yamato. It had come out in December of 82 in the film theaters, and he had gotten it at the beginning of July 1983. And he was excitedly telling people, like, I got Final Amato on videotape, and it's in doble. <laughs> and he paid like a hundred something dollars for it, I think, in uh, 1980s oh, wow. dollars. This is a big yeah. price. 28 years later, uh, two weeks after the live-action Space Battleship Yamato movie comes out, not only is it showing up on torrents, 
you know, not only can you get the original Japanese DVD unsubtitled, but it's showing up on torrents less like a week after it came out, already subtitled. Mm -hmm. So it shows how much the technology has changed over time. Yeah. So, I mean, and on one hand, people within the industry are concerned that, you know, fan subs and stuff are hurting it, but at the same time, it's kind of striking while the iron's hard. It's getting the name out right away. Yes, I hear also stories that some stuff on the torrents, which I have yet to actually figure out how to make it back, actually do. Uh, a lot of shows will come on the air on like Wednesday, and by Friday they're already up, mm -hmm. if not Thursday night. They're already up on the uh, net uh, sub. Yeah, it, 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 it's incredible. I and mean, even more so that there are companies doing this officially. It's, you know, 100% legal. It's not someone, you know, guy in his apartment, you know, uploading it. It's the actual company promoting it. It's, it, it's mind-boggling to think how we've changed and how the culture continues to... Yeah, let's see how far we've come. Yeah, it's exactly. And so, once again, thank you for taking the time to talk with us. It's really interesting to hear your perspective on the fandom and how things have evolved and where, where it's come from and everything like that. So You know, you look at also the way the music videos are. Yeah. Back 28 years ago, I was sitting in my house, uh, you know, running, loading music in onto the tape uh, through either a vinyl record and turntable or an audio cassette and having to look for stuff and try and time it. Yeah. Now these days you've got programs like Final Cut Pro where you're able to drop in segments. Mm -hmm. It's funny you were mentioning earlier about the all, all effects thing. Yeah. As part of me trying to learn how to mm -hmm. do it, I put together a video to Power Man's 5000s when worlds collide where my joke was it was all effects so I could learn how to do all the effects on Final <laughs> Cut. Of course, the two source materials I was using was Neon Genesis Evangelion and a show called Razaphon, which some people I've heard describe Razaphon as it is like Ava, only done right. <laughs> so it's like for when worlds collide, I've got different shots from both series bouncing back and forth. It looks a mess unless you know that it's somebody just trying to learn it. So don't expect to be seeing that in any anime music <laughs> video contests anytime soon. And, and just lastly, i, I got to ask, do you have any particular favorite AMVs that you've seen over the years? I've seen a few. Uh, one was done by Vic Bond to a song done by the former heavy metal band Sabotage, who are now known as Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Uh, it was an Ava video, and it was done to the song This Isn't What We Meant from their album Dead Winter Dead. One of the more, I don't know if this is annoying or effective because I can't get it out of my mind, was this one video that won last year where it was all clips of Code Geass done. Oh, I remember songs like, you know, The Pizza Hut, The Pizza Hut, Kentucky Fried Chicken, The Pizza Hut, McDonald's. It's like, I can't get that song out of my mind. Mm. One of the be better, really good ones I also saw at Otakon was taking the Death Note, taking Death Note and editing a music video from a song from Avenue Q called Schadenfreunde. Oh. 
which mm-hmm. is German for taking pleasure out of other people's misery. <laughs> and what better show to use the death <laughs> note? Great. Well, once again, thank you for taking the time to talk to us. Is there any way that people can see some of the stuff that you've made? I'm slowly working on getting stuff up on YouTube. Mm, okay. But, uh, you know, as soon as I can, you know, I'll just let you know. Great. Thank you once again. Thank you.